This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Rum, do you hear something? Yeah, what is that? It's a bird. No, it's a plane. No, it's not that. Ooh, it's the best of the buzz with Bill. Is that right, eh? It's a good sign of things to come. Commentary on trending headlines with veteran AMI producer Bill Shackleton. Well, now. Billy! I say Shack! Yep, I'm back. Apple will let its users repair their own devices. This is long in, in long overdue. Um, basically, this is comes from a backlash of consumers who feel cheated when it comes to getting their own, getting their uh, not only devices but machine farmer farming machinery repaired. Mm-hmm. You know, these manufacturers, what they do is they they make it difficult to get parts, and then plus they make you go to their dealers, their representatives, and of course they get a cutback. So it's to their advantage if you make people go to um, from t- to their source to get anything repaired. So Apple is now um, going to be allowing, I guess starting next year, allowing people to repair. I believe it's iPhone 12 and up, and and only certain like camera camera displays, like and batteries you will be able to basically replace. And they were they are going to be publishing manuals online to show you how to do this. And 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 I, and I think I did an article uh, several uh, um, several months ago about a woman who was qualified to fix her own phone who wanted to and couldn't get parts. Mm-hmm. And and this is. This is great for if I need a new battery in a phone, I don't have to go into a Rogers store. Apparently, I can just buy. I'll be able to buy the parts. And apparently, Apple is charging the same price as they would charge their dealers to fix. Which, remember, Ramya, they had that if you tampered, if you know, when people were back in the jailbreak days and everything like that. But if you tampered with them, default on your warranty. now. Exactly. Exactly. You know what, though? We know that when Apple does something, it does it well. Okay, fine. I'm a huge Apple user, but I'm just saying, right? Like they they do it well uh, with accessibility. They do it well with, you know, the hardware, the stuff that they've come out with lately, everything. They're very, very innovative and that's wonderful. But yeah, Apple products, it's like you can't open up anything Apple. Um, you're not able to do stuff like that anymore. And it's not just Apple. Well, it's everything like you're saying, Billy. You're not <laughs> able to like do it on your own anymore and that's why the right to repair movement is just people are super upset that they can't you have to toss away things and uh go basically and go and rebuy everything yourself or upgrade to new devices but if they take this opportunity like you're you're talking about right and make it available not just the parts but the manuals you know really embrace this whole thing and say here's all the parts we're selling it to you at the same price you don't need to go outside of apple to try to figure this out on your own and here are the manuals to do it yourself i'm pretty sure that they'll do it well Will and it it's not gonna hinder anything i hope so i mean even if it's not accessible for me per se imagine what it's it'll be like to walk into a store and say okay yeah i know this is not warranty covered but i want to buy the part anyway, and can you guys fix it? Right? It's still right to repair. It's still not the same as my iPhone 12 is cracked up and now I need to uh, upgrade. It's the only way for me to deal with it. So it's just that was the one thing that when 
we started to have rechargeable stuff. I remember, Billy, the first thing I thought of is, yeah, but then I can't fix problems. I can't deal with stuff. And, you know, if this thing goes bad and they tell me, well, this is corrupt, this is whatever, it's done. And that was one of the things that people, when you started to really see the throwaway society that we we had become. And I am anxious to see how this goes. Were Apple's comfortable that, yeah, you had it open because so many people are going to be afraid and say, yeah, hold on a sec. Does that default my warranty or is this something I'm only able to do? Will you give me a warranty that'll last so long and the only way and time I would ever open up to change the battery on my own, save myself some money is out of warranty, which makes sense, right? Obviously, why are you messing around with it? If it's under warranty, um, they would expect you still, well, just bring it in. It's under warranty. What are you kicking about? Mm-hmm. I wonder what they're going to do, though. Um, I mean, if you if you take something back and say you didn't break it and you really did, I wonder how they're going to handle that. Because it's, it's amazing like, what well, they can tell, though. I guess yes, it, and it's it's the same as you going and buying the parts and bringing it home and fixing it yourself. Who cares if it's you or someone else who broke it? Right. That's that's what I'm hoping it'll be like, regardless of who broke your your screen or why your ventilation needs fixing and why it's full of dust and whatever. Like all these simple things that could honestly make your devices last way longer that we right now don't have access to except through third party options. So would you feel, though, if that was so possible to clean it out, make the device last longer is that what Apple in the long run wants? Because the other way to beat that, I guess, is keep updating stuff enough and saying, well, yeah, but uh, 12s or 13, 15, you know, whatever mm-hmm. your version is, won't work with this update. So that every two years, you either have the option of keep fixing up your phone, convert it to an iPod type device, or get a yeah. new one. So well, they're going to find that like angle. Right now. Well, they're going to find the angle. Sometimes, though, I wonder when you look at it, why would why would they make you repair when they make could could make you buy a new one? So. It's as you say. It's going to be interesting. How much money are they actually going to lose by people not or, updating their devices, or fix, having them fix yeah. silly things like batteries? Is it becoming too much of a nuisance? Yeah, you know, that's right. if exactly. we know we can go get a battery and deal with it that way, maybe that's their view. Is yeah, but in the long run, we're saving money because now we don't have Bill plugging up the place coming in. I need another battery here, you know, and and, and, and see how everything locks it. into the bigger picture, like you know, environment change and climate awareness and all this stuff. I mean, I'm just throwing things out. No, there. No, but, but that's a good point because it, then they yeah. can say we're reusable, just what you were saying. Exactly. And they need to exactly. be. We need to be the landfills. It's ridiculous what's going on. Subway sandwich chain co-founder Peter Buck dies at 90. We all know Subways, mm-hmm. but uh, this is coming from Associated Press. But what we don't know, maybe, is how this whole thing got started. At the age of 17, um, he, um, a friend of his named Fred DeLuca asked, him, asked Peter how he could make some extra money. And Peter said, open a sandwich shop. So in 1968, I believe they opened um, Fred's Super Sub Shop, and it was 65 cents or something like that for a sub. Um, they didn't make a profit for 15 years. Wow. And then they, they changed the subways. And actually, they are they have more outlets in McDonald's, apparently, than 
and and more than Tim Hortons. And both of those guys are billionaires. And can you imagine, uh, like, Fred Buck was a physicist. A physicist, yeah. He worked wow. for the U.S. Well, he worked for the U.S. Navy. Holy! I remember well, as a kid. Sorry, yeah. Bill. I just remember as a kid being so confused by the name of the sandwich, a submarine sandwich, because we had in Montreal, we had Mike's Submarine, and just so many of these great places to get sub sandwiches, and it would it would really confuse me that they were called that, and 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 that. So it's really incredible when you think of that vision young teenagers had. And um, I don't know what's the difference between a Mister Sub and a Subway Sub. I mean, what is the difference, baby? Is it the bread? Is I mean, they all seem to have the same sort of. It's type style. sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. Is it marketing, choice, and ownership? Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really, I, I mean, yeah, I think, I don't want to say there was more of a difference because now you have more types of bread and things like that that they can do, that they can offer. Back in the day, it was just sub sandwiches. I, I guess. Um, sub yeah, sandwiches guess you could just... make at home, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what my mom would say when we went to Subway. <laughs> Is, yeah, you can, you can make them at home. We're not going to stop off. Mm-mm. But, but it, it was the fun of it, wasn't it, Bill? It was just its own oh, ritual. It's yeah, and it's amazing how what hey, just opened up a shop. I mean, they never dreamt it would get end up called they're they're both billionaires. Yeah, no kidding. And F- no one ever years in debt. Wow. Yeah. Well, not in debt, yeah. just breaking even. Excuse breaking me. Even. Just just but, yeah. Now they have forty thousand plus locations. Forty thousand, yeah, that's right. Around the, the world. Around the world. Bigger and than the, McDonald's uh, and Starbucks. Our manager, yeah. Andy Frank, met uh, Fred. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 He 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 had a Subway uh, franchise at one point and uh, really cool uh, that he had a chance to meet him and uh, really, really awesome. That's like cool, Andy. Boy, if you could get a, if you could get a franchise, holy smokes. You yeah. know, like, like, could you? Well, and that's the thing. I think, like, like Andy, in the time then, it would have been such a different era. But oh my goodness, you would think that because there's so many, they would dilute themselves. But look at Tim Hortons, and and look, as you said, there's more Subway than there is Tim Hortons. So incredible. I'm going to do this this first one because I'm familiar with the um, with it anyway. It's Jesus Christ Superstar is going to be making a comeback at the Prince of Wales Theater. That's right. Um, yes. Now, from Associated Press, and why I'm why this is an interesting article for me and hopefully for our listeners. I mean, you'd have to be sort of my age to really understand what what you know how this came about. Written 50 years ago by Andrew Lloyd Reber and Tim Rice, um, you can well imagine the controversy of putting something in a biblical context to rock and roll. I mean, it was like unheard of. It was very risque, and they never realized, well, first of all, they didn't know if anybody would ever stage it, but little did they know um, that it, it it was really it really took off in North America. It didn't do so well in Britain, but it did take off in North America. And as controversial as it was, became very successful 
I had the album and I, I actually got to see it live. And I'm interested to know to, with, if I ever get a chance at the new version, what it's going to sound like. Well, I think it's kind of cool to, to uh, as you pointed out, some of that um, initial reaction to Jesus Christ Superstar, right? Like having the music and uh, whether it would be successful or not. But I'm not surprised at all that it would take off in, um, I was going to say New York City, but, you know, North America. North- because, yeah, because just stuff like this feels like old stuff made new. Right. And I know, was it last year or two years ago when um, John Legend was, they were doing a, an Couple airing of, of it. Yeah. yeah and on, and he uh, was going to play. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it was so widely spread and, and so um, like it, it was very well attended as well. Right. Like the airing and stuff. So it just, it's cool, but this is significant because it's coming to Canada. Right, Billy? Um, it is. And you wonder what I'm interested in is how, it's going to be received by the younger people today because, as I say, it's 50 years ago when it was yeah. – when it was, yeah. and, and I don't know how it's going to be – who's going to be able to relate to this other than me and my people my age or whatever. Well, but I wonder I, if they I would mean, tweak it because of that. I, I don't even know if they would because it is yeah. the story that it is. And I, I don't think you, you would need to if you're doing – if you're going to roll this out. But again, Rum, going back to what you said – the interest for people who wanted to see it, who remembered the older people or whatever you want to say, and I don't even know if it matters, is the artists, what you're going to do, what you're going to see, how are you going to make it a live, which was part of the event. It was done live for people. So I think when you, you get things like that rolled out there, and so many people, a lot of reason we don't look at the stuff 50 years ago is the younger people, or when I say younger people, okay, people you know, 40 and, and below look at it and say, ugh. <laughs> they don't like the footage. It's it's you know no matter how great it is, it's still dated. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, yeah, go ahead, Billy. No, the story just for people who don't know, <clears throat> it tells the story of the last seven days of Jesus Christ's life as told through his disciple Judas Iscariot, who basically betrayed him. So, uh, a lot of good music come out of there. A lot of you know, and it, it'll it will be interesting to see. Mm. I don't wasn't able to find out who's performing in it, but I'm hoping it works. So, for you back, you know, uh, you were very young. Um, when do you, when's your first recollection of it? And was it something your parents got got watching or wanted to see as a play or what? No, I one of the one of the guys at Brant at the W Ross McDonald School had the album, and it had some scary music at the beginning of it. And of course, I love scary music, and I, I got to get that album because it's scary music. And I got the album, and then I got my parents to drag me to the O'Keefe, the Royal Alec, to see it live. And and that's how that's how that came about. But it came about because of scary music at the beginning, right? Right. Which and was you know not even the story or anything. No, not so much the story, the music. No. I remember my parents talking a lot about it. I remember when it came on television. Um, oh, yeah. when they, when they, when they did, when they did the, the, the movie, um, I remember it being an experience to watch because of, of how popular, uh, everything was from the play to the, to the show and, and so on and the story itself and how much of the music, you know, went on the music charts. So very, very interesting, Bill. And, and 
and when you see these things 50 years later, and I, I do think, I don't want to, you know, some people say, Rum, oh, it's timeless. It's a classic. It's a bit, I, I don't necessarily no, I don't feel think that way. At all. No, I feel it's something yeah, totally. people, they're curious of. And I just kind of say we overuse that, folks. It's, it's something they're redoing for a different kind of audience, yet the same audience. If we were right. talking about Harry Potter, then we could call it a classic. Well, no. So well, the you don't even have to do that because people like you will just watch it a thousand times. Why would they ever spend money to redo any of it? Exactly. Sure, sure. The Curse of Child's coming out. Okay, so <laughs> the the thing is with the music and um the the type of thing. Like if you're into musicals, if you're into Broadway performance, you're probably gonna check it out because of all the traction it's gotten, right? But you're not gonna do it just because the story interests you, unless like Bill, you've been pointing out you're in that age range and it's significant to you. Right. You're for me, I would want to know that the yeah. music is good. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because I, I, I don't really, I'm not so sure, that, you know, the story itself, you, you, you understand what it is um, and, and, and that kind of thing. I think it really, the pull was the performance, the music, um, the dancing. about this one independent websites team up to boost local journalism this is an american story from the associated press um so there is a group of websites that are promoting well if they get going and it's called the rural news network it's going to be promoting indigenous cultures going to be promoting severe weather and these people feel that there's that we are, you know, lambasted by mainstream media. And basically what they want to do is they feel that that local newspapers or at least local websites um, that are in their own local communities have their ear on ears and eyes on the ground, as it were. And that we they want to promote more local coverage. I mean, after all, you're on the site. You're not reporting from 100 to 200 miles away, you're actually there right. on the scene. And and I think this is, uh, again, it's because of the, the main news media that we're being bombarded with. There's not enough local journalism, um, according to these people, and they're going to change that. And it's mm. really high time that they do, and maybe we can do that here. I don't know. Well, Bill and Rum, you... You know, this is one of those things that you'll hear the um, <clears throat> old timers like us talk about back in the days when you had a local newscast. Now, Toronto people, you guys get local news. But when you're talking mm-hmm. places like our London down to Windsor and, and, and throughout the rest of the country, newsrooms fold up at, at six o'clock at night or and, and they only fire up at six o'clock in the morning for a few hours. And sometimes you don't even have someone midday that's really reporting. Live. They're there in case there's something that happens and preparing other things. Billy, this was the way to know what was going on locally, not just traffic, not just you know if a storm comes up. Um, there was so much that people went out and covered, and budgets have said, nope, nope, not going to be able to do that, except on college or university stations. Oh, that's where you'll see that reflected because you got students trying to you know do a broadcast career or volunteers at a community station. Um, this is one of those things. Rum, do you feel like you actually know, even in Toronto, what's going on reasonably well locally? 
You know what? And that's an interesting question because Toronto is still a huge um, urban city, right? Like it's just huge. So all the stuff that happens locally, which yes, I, the answer is yes. I feel like we we know about it. We can find it. Um, it may not be in your daily digest, but it's there. It, the information is there if you want to find it. But when I think rural, I think that it would get lost. Like the reason why initiatives like this are important is because it would get lost um, because of all the bigger stories and the the more pressing news articles that happen around your country in the bigger places like Toronto uh, just eat up everything, right? So you wouldn't hear about some of the things that are going on, stories, events, um, like local initiatives and things like that. Because everything else is just so big and just so available all the time. Mm. And we get so much now, Billy, first person reports from you who happens to be sitting there wondering, why is there a traffic buildup or whatever? And you're out tweeting. Anyone know why there's a backup on so-and-so, right. which starts the conversation going? But it sounds like here these folks want to have those more reporter people investigating on the ground. Well, it, it's like you're there. And, and yeah, I, I don't know where they're going to get the revenue. For the, the problem, of course, is doing these things. Where are you going to get your revenue from? Yeah. But yeah, it, um, it's not like the old times where it was yeah, there through commercial dollars. Yeah, that's right. And when you take a city like Toronto, it's too big. I mean, when, when you it talk is, local yeah. news, you're talking, we need to know what's happening in Scarborough or Pickering or Oshawa or mm-hmm. some of these other places. And if, if, if when you talk Toronto, it's like, is local news? No, it really isn't because Toronto's too big. Yeah. I mean, and I even remember. when you talk. Sorry, go ahead, Kels. I was just going to say, I remember doing theater stuff in the 80s in Toronto and being in the mirror. And it was a big rush to be, oh, wow, you know, I'm in the North yeah. York mirror versus, the, you know, what goes on now if it gets reported on. Go ahead, Ram. And that's really interesting because I was going to say similarly, uh, you know, when you t- say Scarborough, Billy, I used to think, yeah, but Scarborough's Toronto. Who cares? Right. But now it's mm. totally true. Scarborough has its own community, just like parts outside of Toronto, but right in that suburban area, they have their own communities. Right. And the the own like local news uh, that you won't get a piece of if you're just searching Toronto. Yep. Well, it, and as much as London's London. I, I, you know, if you say to somebody in East London, how, when was the last time you were in West London out in Byron? Uh, what? I've, I've never been out exactly. there, you know, or over in Lambeth. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not like where you're all over. You say to someone in, in West Toronto, hey, when's the last time you hung out in Scarborough? I've, I've barely hung out and I've spent many a time and years in Toronto, uh, just as much as a, a lot of other citizens. And there are certain areas of Toronto. I just, I, I never have to go down there to the beaches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and the other thing is that we are more diversified, um, and that's why this is so important. And even in this country, we're more diversified, and well, I think and, that's what these people are trying to cover. And covering Indigenous stories, uh, covering yeah. rural stories, covering weather. You know, we know yeah. we're talking so much right now about the environment, and I, I think that that is what emphasis they're trying to spread, that, folks, we've got this big, beautiful country. Don't you want to hear more about it? the issues the and and be connected it's it's so hard to stay connected in a big big country let alone if we're not even connecting in our own communities neighborhoods or or regions <laughs> Thank you.
back in the news, folks. Um, apparently, U.S. is suing Uber, uh, saying wait times <laughs> discriminate against people with disabilities. Did you Abuthan's hear that one? laughing at this, and uh, sort of we go just, from it's all, they're sort of like yeah. Facebook, aren't they? Sometimes. <laughs> I know. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, when did they ever leave the news? But yeah, okay, go ahead. So wait times. Wait times or wait fees? Yeah. Wait What's times. Happening? Well, well, it's it, a bit it, of both. Yeah, yeah. Apparently what's happening is the U.S. is the, the, the OJ, the Department of Justice, is say, saying, basically say, suing Uber because when, you, when an Uber car arrives, they wait two minutes and then the meter starts. So basically, what happens is nice. if you are, if you have a dis yeah if you have a disability, does it take you longer to get in the car? If you have a wheelchair and it has to be folded up, or whatever, or what happens if you're vision impaired and the car is right in front of you and they don't identify themselves as an Uber driver? How do you know they're yeah. there? Oh, so what about if you're a businessman that just says, "Wait, I'm paying enough. You sit here while I finish this call and have my cigarette." That's right. That guy's well, not paying the extra except whatever the, you know, okay, sir, well, especially if you yeah. figure getting a big tip. That's right. And, 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 but apparently these, these, these wait fees or wait time fees, apparently people have complained about it. Um, Uber in its response has basically said that we have been in discussion with the Department of Justice and they're disappointed in the lawsuit um, because apparently this has been under discussion now. It, or or in the U.S. Time. anyway. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which I guess is what they would naturally say. Well, I but think, I think what, what, like... what catches me, what I've observed with this, um, was the fact that you got to be registered. So they're willing to make an exception for you and not yeah. charge you that late fee. That's right. But you have to be registered, which I'm not sure what, aren't you registered if you're using it? Uh, but I guess somewhere you've got to have proof or, or and again, I'm, I don't know if that's what's going to happen. There's going to be the follow-up of, okay, Ramya, if you're registering, could we please see a copy of your CNIB card to say that you're actually yeah. blind? And yeah, the thing well, is, okay, the two parts of it is, A, like you mentioned for blind, low vision people, Billy, that uh, you might be standing right in front of an Uber, but it's a busy area. You have no idea which is your vehicle, right? And and you're trying to find each other. That has happened to me many times and I've gotten charged. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't see you and that we don't have like a proper signal or whatever to figure out where we are. Um, and then the second one is, yes, like people with uh, mobility devices or other devices that they it takes a little longer to actually get into and settle into the car. But then yeah. I think the the question, the flip question is, um, how do we know people aren't going to use disability when like this can't be used if you're not actually on the scene? That's like, let's say you you're just registered. five minutes late coming down. Exactly. Right. 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 Oh, I see what you mean. You mean the driver down. saying they were there when they weren't. But also the mm-hmm. flip coin of the registering thing is so that people don't pose as. But I'm still stuck back at you just pose said as. you've a, pose as a, a disabled person and say, yes, yes, well, I'm taking, yeah. you know, if I'm running late because yeah. I'm disabled and they walk up limping or something and a driver is not going to sit there and say, yeah. you're not this And they're 10 you know. minutes getting to the Uber, but they weren't yeah, actually on the Yeah, playing the game scene. and then claiming your disability. Right. Well, I'm vision impaired. I don't see well, whatever. And figuring yeah. that that fee will be, be waived. But you just waived. to go back to what you said, you've actually had to pay for this? 
Like you've been late because oh, you couldn't find. Oh my Dude, goodness! Okay, so like a busy, um, busy parking lots of a Walmart or a Costco, like these huge parking right. lots where Uber drivers are there, uh, it, yeah. or, or even like you know valley areas where Ubers are there, but they're not looking for you, and you're trying to find them, and nobody can find each other, and then you get paid or charged the the late fee, even if they cancel and leave, you still get charged the late fee. I know that. How much do they charge you for a late fee? Like, if, if I don't do they, remember, do they... it's like five bucks or six, but like close to six bucks, I think. Is that right? Minimum, yeah. And especially if if they've waited and then they don't want to cancel, because you know, there's also this like unspoken thing of, well, you cancel first if you can't find me, right? <laughs> but but I'm not going to cancel because then I get uh, stuck with the fee. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm there's a lot of that. games to Uber. Yeah, there certainly is. There's a, there's they play games. I had an experience yesterday. I didn't get my food, and I had to um not not to not to just take away from the article, but uh, I didn't get it. They never arrived. So I, I and they did refund me. Yeah. So these dumb things do happen. Well, they must have to sit yeah. down at the table with Facebook and teach each other. So what are you going to do this week? No, we're in the news this week. You guys go in next week. Go and screw around next week on everybody. I, I just am shocked when I read this and to think of the implications uh, of it and that, you know, a government has to say, no, no, you don't get to do that. I mean, look, no. I understand wasting people's times and drivers that are out there and, and the games people play. I understand that. I, I, I know we go, work very hard that a person with a guide dog shouldn't have to call and say, I've got a guide dog, you know, but again, some Sometimes it's in their best interest, so they don't have to deal with somebody leaving them at the corner, even though they shouldn't have to. Three times in a row. Exactly. Mm. And and neither should you have to pay because you couldn't find the car and he doesn't know to look for you because he's busy playing with his phone until you knock on his window and say, "You're, you're here for Kelly? Yeah, I know. I'm going to squeeze this one in German man drive to his own driving test. Now on the face of it, it isn't funny, but you got a guy in Germany who can't drive a car. What? So he drives, oh he, he can't drive, he can't drive. So that's why he's taking driver's license. So he drives illegally to his own driver's test and he screws up and gets himself arrested because of course he's oh, careless driving. So he was asked why he was, um, driving the car when he really shouldn't have been because he didn't know how to drive. And he said, I didn't want to be late. So, you know, what can I say? He didn't want to be late? That's why he... Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to be late, so he drove the car, even though he shouldn't have driven. He didn't want to be late for his own test. Okay, that's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Well, why not? Why not? It's like some of the stories that we hear of of people telling us about how they drove to the CNIB to get their eyes checked and then they got their license revoked because they shouldn't have been driving because their vision is that bad. You know, yeah. this is the first thing that came to mind for me. I'm like, why are you driving to your driver's test? You don't have a license. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's right. Well, I guess okay. the guy didn't want to be late. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever, uh, man. Yeah. Call yourself an Uber. Get out of here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so. Billy, thank you so much. Very uh, controversial and a lot of debating topics today. 
Well, it came from the, the last one came was a prep kicker. So you know what those are. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. they're very kind of silly things and whatever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But they still make us think. Thanks, yeah, Billy. We'll talk to you do. next week. Later. Bill Shackleton is a usual suspect on our show, Kelly and Company. You can catch Billy sneaking around the studio on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for more of the buzz. All right, see ya. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.